0: Um, he says in the second verse, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity is clearly the theme of the book. The, the word vanity is found 39 times in this book. That's a lot. Especially when you realize it's only found 35 times, 35 more times in the entire Old Testament. So to pack 39 of those uh, uh, times of vanity into one book... Clearly, uh, screams. This is something we need to deal with, work on. Vanity is a reality. Um, do you do you ever have a day where you just say, "I don't feel like I got anything done. This was just vanity. You know, I didn't I didn't do anything today. Nothing seemed to be worthwhile today. I did. I had a, I have those every week. I don't know about you, but there's times when I struggle like, really. What, what have I done? What, what's going on here today? What, what's the value in all that's going on? I first came across the word vanity helping my dad remodel uh, houses, and um, he kept referring to the bathroom counter as the vanity. He said, "Go over there and get it off the vanity." I said, "Vanity? What's the vanity?" I didn't understand that term at first. And I asked, what do you mean? Why do you call it? It's a counter. Why do you call it a vanity? He said, well, think about what goes on there. And I said, what do you mean what goes on there? He says, that's where you stop to put on makeup. And now, there's nothing wrong with makeup, okay? You know, uh, we all know it just brings out the true beauty, right? That's what it does. It, it brings out the true beauty in someone But we also know makeup hides dark spots and light spots and scratches and pimples and zits and all kinds of stuff, you know? Uh, And it it makes us look better. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with looking better. Matter of fact, that's one of your most important ministries. The rest of us have to look at you. So anything we can do to make ourselves look better is a ministry to those people we're around. I'm not putting that down. What we're talking about, though, is when you put makeup on and it makes you look like a million bucks, you look in the mirror and you realize, but I'm not worth a million bucks. My value's a lot less. And there comes the name vanity. It just seems vain. If I can make myself look like a million bucks, but I know that's really not who I am, that's not What's going on? Vain is having something on the outside that's promising something on the inside, but the inside is empty. If the inside of us is empty, then life is vain. And that's what Ecclesiastes is dealing with. How do we stop it? How do we deal with the vanity and how do we stop it? Let's look at this life subjected to vanity that's presented in chapter 1 just by using Uh, The word what, how, when, why is is life so insane? How do we stop it? What is this life of insanity? The first uh, three verses, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? Now, uh, he leads us right into right immediately. It's vain if you don't have a profit. If there's no advantage, what advantage do you have? What do you get out of this life? Since it's all vain, I mean, do you get a profit? Do you make some uh, difference? And what what part of life is is vain? Verse two says, "All is vanity." And then he clues us in not only. All is vanity, but he describes it a little bit better in verse 3 by saying, which he does under the sun. That phrase, under the sun, is crucial. All is vanity under the sun. Now, that implies that there's something above the sun or beyond the sun. But he's describing a life that's under the sun. That phrase is used 29 times in this book. You're going to keep coming to it. It's a constant reminder. The life he's describing is life that we live on the earth. It's life down here. He's implying there's a life beyond this life. Makes it a little bit clearer when you start circling that phrase, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun, you begin to see his theme. And then you realize he uses, three, he uses a synonym three times that makes it even clearer. Uh, one of those down in verse uh, 13. He says, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done. You would expect the phrase under the sun. But he says under heaven. And he uses under heaven three different times in this book. To, to me, it's a clue. What does under the sun really mean? It means life on earth as opposed to life in heaven. This is life under heaven as opposed to life in heaven. Chapter 2, verse 3 does the same thing with that phrase. I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven. Again, using that as a synonym to the synonymous with the phrase under the sun. Uh, so. Now it starts to make sense, and it gives light to the believer, to the Christian, that the unbeliever doesn't have. We can see that there's a life on earth, and there's a life in heaven. This life under the heaven that we have to exist in is vain, begins. If we can't profit, if there's no advantage, does that point us to a life above the earth, A life in heaven. We're earthbound. Where we are earthbound, it seems vain. But in Christ, we're going to see we're not earthbound. And that's where the Christian begins to profit. Uh, We saw last week, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Don't forget that verse. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. In Christ, in heaven, there's a glorious value to all we are and all we do. And he's, going, he's leading us there by showing us the vanity on earth. Second, not only what is this vain life, it's a life under the sun, but it's, uh, how, how is it insane? Verse 3, it's just, there's no profit. There's no advantage. Um, you can work for something, and you just don't get an advantage for it. You can stay healthy and trim and fit and look good. And what to what advantage? To what profit? Um, It seems to all burn up in the end anyway, some way. Um, Not only is there seemingly no profit, there can also be a negative. Look at Matthew 26, 24. Here's a description of Judas that I want you to see and kind of think about. Matthew 26, 24. It says, The Son of Man is to go, just as it's written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. That's Judas. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it's not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You've said it yourself. Think about that description. I mean, it's just... oh. It's the worst thing Christ could say of you. Uh, it would have been better for you not to have been born. Not only do you have no advantage. You've got a negative. You've got a, a debt so great. You're, you didn't, not only did you live your life with no profit. It would have been better for you not to have lived. Because of the negative that you're taking with you into the pits of hell in betraying Christ. There's vain life, and then there's a life that's even vainer than vain, and Judas had that kind of life. Uh, That's insane. You know, how do we stop that? How do we make our labor of value? How do we make our life count for something? Um, We never seem to ultimately succeed. Things just seem to you know you you've heard you you may be one of these I, I won't say it's a it's it's uh, just because of your youth or your age but how many of you have said you know why, why do we make up the bed we just get back in it you know why do we uh, do anything it seems like you think about the monotony why, why do we brush our teeth we just chew something again you know? why, why do we wash our clothes we just got to wash them again you know it, it, they're just just monotony it just it's like It doesn't seem that we ever get ahead. Um, You just, why do you make money? You just end up spending it. You know, it's gone. Uh, You don't seem to accumulate enough. Life just seems to never get in the real profit column, real advantage column. Well, why? Well, three reasons he mentions here. There's this monotony I've already started talking about. A monotony problem, there's a mental problem, and there is a material problem. That's why life is insane. First of all, life is insane because of monotony. Verses 4 through 8. A generation goes, generation comes. It's just this cycle, monotonous cycle. But the earth remains forever. Also the sun rises, sun sets. Monotony. Hastens to its place. It rises there again. Verse 6. Blowing towards the south and turning towards the north, the wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses, the wind returns. Um, all the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea's not full to the place where the rivers flow. they There they flow again. Um, all things are wearisome. Man's not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. Uh, have you ever thought about that? Uh, I like the, the illustration of the river. All these rivers flowing down into one basin to the sea, why don't they ever fill it up to the sense that say, like, okay, it's full, we can stop and we can rest for a little while. But the river has to keep flowing, keep flowing, keep flowing. It's like what's the advantage if if they can't if the river can't satisfy itself and just stop and rest and say, well well done. Filled it up. And then it uses the illustration for us, like our, our seeing and our hearing. By the way, um, this is why Instagram and music, is, it's, it's why it works. Because we look at something, we look at a picture, it says the eye is not satisfied with seeing. And we want to see another one. And we flick, and we want to see another one. And we want to see another one. And we want to see another one. Or we hear a song, and we want to hear it again. And again, and again, instead of saying, okay, I got it, I'm satisfied. We don't sit back and say, I'm satisfied. We, we're in this vain cycle, a monotonous cycle that doesn't completely satisfy. If you ever push the Instagram away or the, the song and say, what did I just accomplish? What was the advantage What's in the profit column for my time spent that way? And that's what we're dealing with. Our, our lives seem to be so full of labor that doesn't seem to add up to something of significance. That's a monotony problem. Second, there's this material problem, verses 9 through 11, that to, that which has been is that which will be. That which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which we might, one might say, See, this is new. Already it has existed for ages which were before us. As you think about these verses, just think about matter. Who creates matter out of nothing? Only God has created something new. Out of nothing. What we do is we rearrange matter. We take what God's already given us. And we add stuff together, we rearrange it somehow, uh, and we think, ah, I've done something new. And God said, No, you were using my stuff. You, You didn't create anything new. You've never created anything new. And you never will create anything new. I'm the creator. I'm the one who has given you all these things. We have a material problem. We can't produce material out of nothing. So that we escape this material that we're in. And then there's this mental problem. He begins, verse 12 to the end. He says, I the preacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I set my mind, so this is, he said, I'm setting my mind, I'm thinking, this is mental activity, I'm mentally working. I set my mind to seek and to explore by wisdom concerning all that's been done under heaven. It's a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. And what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after wind because in much wisdom, there's much grief. And in an increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Basically, he's saying, it's just, I'm the smartest man on the planet. And everybody knows it. And I used my smarts. I used my mental ability to explore everything there is to explore with the goal of finding value. And after using my tremendous mental intelligence, I was still not able to find Value and if I can't find it, it's what he's saying. You're not going to find it in just mental exercise. Now, he's not saying wisdom doesn't matter. He's just saying it's not going to produce the value. Many times we think it will produce. Uh, we saw before. It, this is Solomon, and he's he's smart, and wisdom matters. Look at. Uh, I'll go back. Uh, Psalm uh, chapter. 3, or excuse me, Proverbs 3, 13 through 18, just a description so that we don't get too far out of uh, context here, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, he says, how blessed is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding, so there is blessing in getting the wisdom God gives us, the knowledge God gives us. Verse 14, her profit's better than the profit of silver. Her gain is better than fine gold. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. So, you know, I don't want parents here to think, oh, you, did, you just gave my permit, kids permission not to go to school. No, 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 no. Didn't do that. Um, education is valuable. Getting wisdom is valuable. But if you think that through that, you're going to succeed in uh, escaping this vain existence under the sun, you will not. We don't escape through just mental exercise or being smart. Um, you know, we can do so much with wisdom. But it still has its limits. Um, I can study finance. And I can declare through that study. America is bankrupt. I've got enough wisdom to say America's bankrupt. Most of you get that. But my wisdom doesn't fix it. I don't know how to fix it. You don't know how to fix it. Because if we could fix it, we would have already fixed it. We're looking for somebody to fix it, but nobody seems to care about fixing it. Or if they care, they don't care enough to fix it. It's not getting fixed. You know, we're trillions and trillions. I can't even imagine a trillion. We're trillions and trillions in debt. So, well, that's smart. He realizes that's going to hurt us at some point. Yes, but we don't use the same wisdom to fix it. So the wisdom is a blessing in that it may prepare you for something, but it doesn't, a lot of times, fix some of the problems we have. I I know through study and education that all of us need a biblical world view. One of the most important verses that you should learn in any institution, educational institution you're in is Colossians 2 verse 3. That's most, every school should start with Colossians 2. 2 Verse 3, and that is that Jesus Christ is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. If you don't know that, you're not going to the fountain to drink. And you're not really getting from the source. You're always getting second, third, fourth hand information, but you can go to Christ because Christ is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. We should know that. I know you need that kind of stuff. But I can't give it to everybody in the world. I know you need a biblical worldview. But how do I fix it? How do I fix those who don't have the biblical worldview? That's what I think Solomon's talking about. It just seems vain. I I can learn and learn and learn. And there's blessings in learning. But it, it doesn't enable us to escape this life under the sun. Uh, it it is, is blessings to us in many ways. You know, uh, Maurice and I were talking about the millions of dollars just spent in South Carolina alone uh, in the last few weeks on political ads and filling up my trash can with paper and all that. We could have used the same money and provided housing for every homeless person in South Carolina. Say yeah we could that would have been smart, but we're still in this vain existence, aren't we? We can learn stuff like that and yet uh, don't use the hundreds of millions of dollars for those things that seem to be wise and give us profit or value That's what solomon is is dealing with that our learning seems to be limited it's a limited wisdom, and the more we learn at times it's grievous because we say. This could seems like it could be fixed, but it's not. And he says it becomes grievous. It becomes painful to know these things that aren't being used for the blessing that they could be. Uh, That's clearly not better to be foolish. Uh, He says in Ecclesiastes itself, chapter 2, verses 13 through 14... um, and I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head. The fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. So there you see a contrast. If you think wisdom's bad, try folly. It's worse. Um, so there's great value but it's l- in wisdom, but it's limited. Uh and it's not as helpful as we want it to be to put advantage and profit it just never seems to be sufficient and and perhaps the intention of life under the sun is des- is that it's designed that way for a reason that's god's intention that he never lets us through our wisdom solve all the world's problems he never lets us through our material fix what needs to be fixing He doesn't let us even through our routines find satisfaction because he doesn't want us to get so satisfied with life under the sun that we don't thirst and hunger for heaven and for Christ. We can't make earth heavenly. Heaven is heavenly, earth is earthly. And when we're trying to bring heaven down, it's going to be vain. Rather, we need to bring us up. And of course, that's only done in Christ. So let's, let's stop a minute. How do we stop the insanity? Let's, let's see the value above the earth, above the sun, and not just under the sun, not just on earth. How do we do that? I want you to see... The monotony problem is solved in Christ, the material problem is solved in Christ, and the mental problem is solved in Christ. First of all, let's trust our transcendent Redeemer to solve the monotony problem. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, 9 through 18. Hebrews 10, 9 through 18. Glorious insight into Christ solving the whole monotony problem. Hebrews 10, 9 through 18. It says, then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. This is Christ. He said that. He comes to do the Father's will. I love how he links his work on earth to God's will. He keeps going. He says, he takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Don't miss that phrase. Once for all. You don't see that in the monotony problem. It's like, oh, we got to do this over and over and over. And Jesus steps in and says, God, I came to do your will. The priests have been offering sacrifices over and over and over. It's a monotony, monotonous routine. Uh, I'm going to go down and I'm going to do it once. Once for all. I'm going to stop this. Christ stopping this this monotonous dealing with sin. We struggle with sin over and over and over. Christ said, let me fix that once for all. Verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, What's do one time he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet for by one offering he is perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind. I will write them, he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer offering for sin. It's done. End of sacrifices. We don't have an altar in this church. We don't refer to coming to the altar. We don't do sacrifices. That points to the one sufficient sacrifice of Christ. He's done it. It's all sufficient. It doesn't need to be repeated. It's sufficient one time, once for all. And Jesus sat down and said, I don't need to do that again. I've done it, it works. It's sufficient. My blood covers all sin of my people, once for all. That is glorious. He comes into this vain existence of us sinning over and over and trying to deal with our sin over and over. And Christ says, I'm going I'm to solve that. I'm going to put an end to it, once and for all. And he links it to the Father's will. The, the will of the Father is pleased with Christ's activity of solving our problems. Um, praise God. Hallelujah. I don't, I don't have to keep dealing with it. I, Lord, forgive me for my sins. David, forgiven. Done. Past, present, future. Perfected. I mean, how many of you have tried to perfect anything? I'm still trying to perfect my golf swing. How many thousands and thousands of times have I swung that club? It's not perfect yet. It won't get perfect. It's impossible on earth for a sinful, frail person to be perfected, yet Christ says, I'm going to come and I'm going to perfect them. One time. One and done. I will make them sanctified. I will make them holy, so that when they stand before my God, my Father in heaven, they stand without spot or blemish. They're perfect in every way. That's value. And only Christ does that. Takes away the monotonous sin cycle that we're in. And makes us gloriously perfect and sanctified and holy in Christ. So he solves the monotony problem. Trust Christ for that. That's the only way you get that value. Second, trust Christ for redemption. Look at uh, Romans chapter 6 verse 4. You remember Ecclesiastes saying there's nothing new, right? Nothing new under the sun. Christ comes to make something new. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Verse 4. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, so the baptism in verse 4 is a union, verse 5, we've been united with Him in the likeness of His death, then certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. We just sang a song about the joys of being in the likeness of His resurrection. And what god is telling us here he's like if if you're united with christ if you're united to his death you're united to his burial you're united to his resurrection then you've got a new life you're you're not tied you're not united to the old anymore you're united to christ who is new who is has the power of over death burial and the resurrection. That gives you a new existence. That gives you uh, the promise and the glory of heaven. You can transcend. Uh, Another passage, Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 4. As you think about these gifts that are ours in Christ. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father. this verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. I said... I, I I want you to be holy. I'll give you holiness. I want you to be blameless. I'll give you blamelessness. I want you to be before me. I want you to be submissive. I want you to be in love. I'll give that to you. I'll choose you in Christ. I'll unite you to Christ. And as you're united to Christ, you get all the benefits that come with Christ, who is holy and blameless and before me in love. Praise God. Amen. Uh, This is glorious to be So united that the material problems go away. We're in Christ. Think about that for a minute. You've heard the preacher say there's nothing new under the sun. And then Christ steps from above the sun down to earth and says, let me give you a new heart. Let me give you a new record of righteousness. Let me give you a blamelessness you can't create. Let me give you a new name. Let me make all things new. Let me give you the new and living way. Let me create for you a new heaven and a new earth. Let me solve the material problem. You can't make anything new. But I, behold, I make all things That's our glorious Christ. The world doesn't see this. It doesn't get it. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity under the sun. But when Christ steps down for us, all things become new instead of vain for us. The sin is removed. Life becomes new. He puts a new song in our heart, even praise to our God. Praise God. And then think about our resources all that god gives us that helps us mentally mental resource look at 1 corinthians chapter 1 21 through 25 1 corinthians 1 god having a little fun perhaps here with man 1 corinthians chapter 1 21 through 25 says for since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. See, that's was, that was our vanity. Is we could be the smartest people on the planet and we don't run to God. We, we just don't. Uh, we're at enmity with God. God was well pleased, it says, through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So Christ comes. The message of Christ is good news. Some of us believe it it changes us verse 22 For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness but to those who are the called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men consider your calling brethren that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, nor many noble, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. That's what I meant by God playing a little bit. It's like, let me, let me, let me show you. I can take your wisest person, I can take your strongest person, and no matter how wise or how strong, my wisdom, my strength so far excels anything man has because man is limited under the sun I want to bring you something from heaven I want to bring you something down I want to open up for you the wisdom of God the strength of God Says I can take the, the dumbest person and make them smarter than your wisest person I have that kind of wisdom I can fix it I can take the weakest person and make them your stronger than your strongest person. I can fix it. I have that kind of power and ability. That's our God. All mental problems can be solved in the wisdom of Christ. Christ's power to do it all. Settle every debt, every issue um, that we have. Well, once you, again, I hope you saw what I did last week. I said, as you look at Ecclesiastes, the real trick here is to not just look at the preacher, Solomon, who was smart, wise. He was the smartest man on the face of the earth. But to look to his creator, the greatest preacher and teacher, look to Christ And you see the wisdom of Solomon takes you so far. It takes you to vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And then you look to Christ and it takes you further. To value, value, all is value in Christ. We're going to see that over and over. This wonderful contrast that we live so much under the sun. Just surrounded by this world. That we sometimes don't look up above to Christ in heaven and all of his glory. One thing this text screams to me is people need Jesus. People need the Lord because their life is vanity, vanity. It's all vanity without Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a ray of light. Thank you for showing us Christ. All glory truly to Christ. Father for those here in this place. Those who hear this preacher's words. May they see how desperate they are for Christ. That if they don't find him. Like Judas. Would have been better for them not to have been born. Let us all run For Christ, run to Christ. May we wrestle with God until we find ourselves in Christ. So that we don't spend our days and hours in vain. Oh Jesus, come to us. We beg of you. In Jesus' name, amen.